Psalm 67, 1 through 7. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And all the people said, Bring the book. It's great to see people back here again. It was uh, last time I preached, it was Dylan with his microphone right here, and he and I were the only ones uh, in here, so it, it is good to have people back. Uh, Lord willing, the next uh, two Sundays, Dylan will be uh, preaching. Mon and I will be out of town. We try annually to... Uh, get together with a couple of other pastors and their wives, one from Indiana uh, and his wife and another one from Colorado. And so we are flying out there. He, our, our friend Dr. Watson in uh, Meeker, Colorado, he writes a publication. He's, he's written several books, but he writes a, a publication called Sola Scriptura. And, and I got it this week, and it was an exposition of Nehemiah chapter 8. And he talked about the importance of bringing the book. So I came out here, and I took a picture of our pulpit with that on there, and I sent him a text message of that picture. And he texted me back. He goes, you made my day. You made my day. And you make my day when you tell me, bring the book. Bring the book. Because if you just listen to my opinions, you're in trouble. We want to hear from God, and the only way we can hear from God is opening the book. Um, let me say a, a couple of uh, comments about uh, being attuned to, we may have to uh, decide to uh, close the church for uh, a week or two if it happens again. Uh, what happened the preceding one um, we went all the way through VBS without a single occurrence. And then it was our anniversary during that week, so Mon and I decided we're going to leave on Tuesday and come back on Thursday evening. We just went over to Hot Springs and um, hung out and do what you do in Hot Springs. And uh, that's didn't realize the extent of uh, contact with COVID until that Saturday. So that's why it was kind of uh, abrupt, and we decided to got the elders together on Zoom, and, and we, we decided the safest thing to do was just to, uh, didn't have time to go online. So we have a new website, and if you have any question, it's updated regularly. So Dylan, are you back in the sound booth? Were you going to say a word about the new website? Step out, step out here and say, we're, we're live feeding for the first time this morning on the new church website. It's gbcsherman.org. Um, Mrs. Frazier, not my secretary, but Dylan's wife has put together. So if you go to gbcsherman.com, it'll direct you to gbcsherman.org, and you can find uh, the information there. If, if we were going to close and you're not on the email list. So, Dylan, any? Uh, it would probably be better to do an update from the screens and the, the Wi-Fi is working a little bit better. Right now, it's tanked, so we can't quite go. Okay. We're, right <laughs> we're, we're still working on trying to get um, uh, the bandwidth or, or whatever here uh, up uh, to that uh, degree. So. We realize whenever we gather, you go to Walmart, you face a certain risk of picking up uh, um, COVID. Um, you're a little longer in contact, closer contact here with people, and we understand there's a risk 
when we come to church, I'm willing to take that uh, risk. I, I don't want to go um, prolonged time. I need your fellowship. I need your prayers. I just need to see your face. This is my family. These are the people I'm going to spend eternity with. And I look forward to the Lord's Day coming together with you. So when we cancel services, we don't do it lightly. Um, and we'll do it for a short time and uh, then gather together again. Uh, most of uh, in the past, who have had COVID in the past couple of weeks, most have recovered or are in the process of recovering. Paul Terrell, his brother, uh, attends an excellent church in uh, Tennessee. I know their pastor. When I go to a fire conference, I greet Donnie Martin and his wife. And uh, Paul's at, they lost five people uh, to COVID in their church. So we, we are fortunate that we have not lost anyone, but several have had to be uh, hospitalized. And uh, Isaac, you wanted to say something? This morning? Yes, I want to thank you, sir, uh, for all of your kindness and many who called and uh, just in general your kindness and prayers for my wife and I. And I thank God that we are recovering well and we're glad to be here. And we're glad to have you back. Um, And we decided, in, also in light of that, not to hold our monthly fellowship uh, dinner or hold the Lord's table and pass around elements uh, this morning. We will resume that. Our practice is to have uh, the Lord's Supper as part of our morning service once a month. So I had anticipated um, preaching a little shorter this morning because we we're going to have the Lord's table. So I know you go, you owe us some time, all those times you've gone over past an hour. Um, but I'm not so sure it's going to be short this morning on Psalm 67. But we are delighted to have you here with us this morning. And I, as we have gone through the Psalms, we started in Psalm 1, finished book 1, and then started the Psalter, book 2, and we have finished Psalm 69. I skipped 67 intentionally because it's a little shorter of a psalm for when we do the Lord's table. And uh, now we're going back to that. Lord willing, um, when I, uh, my wife and I uh, return, we will pick up with Psalm 70. We'll do Psalm 71, Psalm 72. That'll finish uh, the first two collections in the Psalter. I'm also going to do Psalm 110. Um, I may not live long enough to get that to get that if I dip, went sequentially through the Psalter. Um, so I want to preach on Psalm 110. And then we're going to go back to the New Testament and work through the Gospel of Matthew. So that's the... Um, current plan. This is such an important psalm. This really highlights, this psalm highlights not only why God called Abraham, but calls any people to himself. He doesn't just save us for our own benefit, but we are to be a people who, first of all, the truth of the word of God affects us so that we live differently, and then we're to be a people who transmit the gospel message to others, and all of this is for the glory of God. And that's where this psalm takes us this morning. I'm going to pray and ask the true teacher, the Spirit of God, to work in our hearts, because if he doesn't work in our hearts, this, this is a vain exercise. We need supernatural help from heaven. Lord God, thank you for calling 
a people out of darkness, the darkness of sin, the penalty of sin, to the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. I don't know the hearts of everyone out there. You do. You know my own heart, how it stands in need of strengthening grace. So work in the heart and life of each person present this morning as only you can. We confess our dependence upon you, our need to love the Lord our God with all our soul, heart, mind, and strength, our, our need to live quorum deo in the presence of God day by day to be a people who worship you not only on the Lord's day, but worship you by just the regular, ordinary things that we do through the week, that everything that we do, we would keep you mindful in our minds, in our actions, and seek to bring glory and honor to the true God of heaven above. Thank you for this great missionary psalm of the Old Testament. May you bring it to light in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ancient expositors, if you read in the early centuries of the church, they called Psalm 67 the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. Now, I, I realize when it, it's so stuck in theological language that if I called it the disciples prayer it probably you would not be sure what I'm talking about but it is the disciples prayer because Jesus said um, they actually saw him pray he's countering all the wrong ways that the Pharisees the religious leaders prayed in hypocrisy and he teach and he taught them a model prayer he didn't say you have to pray these precise words but this is what your prayers should be like. So I'm going to ask you as I read this that you'll join me in unison on the screen and then we're going to go to Psalm 67 and we'll read that one together and think about why why did those ancient expositors call Psalm 67 the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. So join me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now the last phrase there is in brackets because it's not in uh, uh, some of the early uh, manuscripts. Note this, this, this prayer is for the glory of God. The first, the first request is, Hallowed be your name, set apart, sanctified, treated as holy. May your name be treated. And when we say your name, we're talking about all that God is in his attributes or perhaps better, his perfections. And when I pray that prayer, hallowed be your name, then there should be a response in my heart that I recognize when I'm praying, Lord, may your name be set apart as the supreme creator, ruler, redeemer of the universe, then I ought to act like that. So it's a prayer that ought to impact me as I pray it. Let your will be done. This is a prayer as all true prayer is, to be a desire for God's purposes, his plans, and his glory to be realized and enacted here on earth, just as it is in heaven, where it's perfectly done. And then note that this prayer is for God's blessing on his people 
his disciples. Note the first person plurals, we and us. Our Father. Give us, forgive us. We also have forgiven our debtors. Don't lead us, deliver us. So, now watch how this parallels Psalm 67 and the request there. And I, I made a, a, a minor change depending upon which translation you're using. Um, you'll find this in the net uh, uh, Bible as well as Dr. Alan Ross taught uh, the book of Psalms for many years uh, in a seminary and he has a massive three volume set for anybody who really wants to teach the Psalms that needs to be consulted. You always start the scriptures there and so the may God bless us is exactly the same form as when you come down to the end may God bless us. It can be translated God will bless us but I think, and I agree with Dr. Ross, that this sets bookends around this psalm. Namely, it starts out, may God bless us, and then it ends with, may God bless us. So these bookends highlight and emphasize where to start and where to end. It starts with the blessing upon the people of God. So, please join me as we read this psalm together. Ready? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is a prayer for God's blessing on his people so that others may know, worship, and praise God. It's not a prayer of universalism, asserting that all, every person will be saved and will honor, but it is all without distinction. May all peoples among the nations, it goes beyond Israel, it goes to all the nations. And the psalmist recognizes that here. It never was the intent simply to save Abraham by himself. It was that through Abraham there would be a blessing to all the nations. And how is it going to be a blessing? Well, he's not going to be a blessing when he sins. And God is the one who guarantees back in Genesis 12 that that's going to take place. If not, it would have been lost if it was up to Abraham. Remember Abraham? Sarah? He had an absolutely beautiful wife. Very striking in external appearance. And God brought a famine. Remember that? Directed by God. And so he says, hey, no food here. We're going down to Egypt. And he heads down to Egypt and he goes, um, I think I'm going to be in trouble here, darling. And so what did he ask her to do? When we get down there, you tell them you're my sister, which was kind of a half lie. Um, she was, uh, and so she got down there. And Pharaoh saw her and, hey, I'm ready to add her to my, to my harem. What would have happened to the Abrahamic promises? But God revealed himself to Pharaoh and said, you better not touch him. <laughs> Touch that woman. And uh, through the events, Pharaoh sent Abram back. We're never a blessing to people 
when we sin. We are a blessing to people when we believe and obey and trust God. And through that, that's how God's plan is to spread His name among the nations. For those of you that weren't here for the first hour, my heart was really struck as we watched another episode of Dispatches from the Front, particularly in, in Kosovo and Albania, and um, what a war-torn uh, nation, the people that were massacred as, the, as the, they tried ethnic cleansing. Uh, I thought of Isaac and Paul Lawrence, the years they have spent in Romania back in the mountains seeking uh, to bring out uh, the gospel. It starts with us. It starts with us worshiping God and being right with him and walking with him. And we're going to see that is the initial emphasis. But let me just show you the structure uh, of this. First of all, I want to make a statement by uh, John Piper. This uh, He takes the centerpiece of this psalm, and he has written this book, Let the Nations Be Glad, The Supremacy of God in Missions. If you have never read this book, I highly recommend it uh, to you. Um, I think Dwayne Litvin, uh, past president of Wheaton College, writes on the back, If I had to choose only one book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad would be it, precisely because it's about so much more than missions. The book's relentless God-centered focus with its stress on worship as the fuel and goal of missions provides the crucial biblical counterpoint to the anthropocentric, man-centered drumbeat of our age and of our culture. And I think that's exactly right. And so in the beginning of this book, if, if you only had this statement, you would get it. He writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. People don't worship God. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. There will be no more evangelism. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And if you've ever read any of Piper's work or heard him preach, his bottom line is always this, and he takes it from Jonathan Edwards. Um, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Because when I am satisfied, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When my delight is in God, and I'm satisfied in him, then I'm not running outward to sinful pursuits that are empty and shallow. So the structure of this psalm, now I only say structure here because I think it's helpful to to note sometimes structure is just structure. But here the structure of this psalm helps us to get what the psalmist is driving out. It starts out with an introductory prayer for the blessing of God, the blessing of God on his people. They need to be a worshiping people. And then it'll change to the centerpiece of the prayer. And watch how the psalmist so skillfully and balanced makes this the centerpiece of the prayer. There's, there's a repetitive statement that flanks the centerpiece. And in verses 3 and 5, you can see them. 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. And then he emphasizes, let all the peoples praise you. And then you come down to the centerpiece, and it's flanked by that same statement. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In other words, what the psalmist is driving then those two statements highlight 
the centerpiece of this psalm, and it is the joyful worship from all nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And then it will come back to a concluding prayer for the blessing of God. So how does this psalm work? How did, why, how did he construct it? You start out, may the people of God be a people who worship God, who honor him. And we cry out for God's blessing upon us to be able to do that. And we're not here for ourselves. We're here to promote the glory of God by seeing others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let all the nations praise you. And he comes right back at the conclusion and then says, May God bless us. May God bless us. Because it is when God blesses us, and we'll talk about how he blesses us and what is important there, as we are a worshiping people, then we will have a desire to spread the glory of God. Your giving, your prayer, your sacrifice for those who have gone to the field is crucial. And I pray that even from our own small assembly, God will raise up some and place it on their heart that I want to go and then it is our responsibility to pray for them, to support them, to encourage them. Missionaries get discouraged. Sometimes they're out there for years with very little visible results. And sometimes they're out there and there are great results happen. But regardless, they face the same problems that we face. And so as we pray for them, as we become a worshiping people, we head toward the joyful worship from all nations, and we come back to may God bless us. Derek Kidner writes, this is the spreading circle. Alan Ross, why God's face shines upon us. Will Varner has an excellent commentary on the Psalms. It's a devotional commentary, but he does his homework. It's called A Waco Harp. He writes, The richness of Psalm 67 lies in the amazing way that this anonymous author, author reflects back on two key passages in the Pentateuch. He's going to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 6. And the psalmist is going to take these two texts combine them together in this prayer in Psalm 67 and turn them into a prayer. This is a prayer for worldwide evangelism. And I also remind you that the Psalms are songs. This is the hymn book of the Old Testament. So when the author writes this, he is instructing the people. Music is a wonderful gift from God. But it is also important by what type of content. We're not all going to like necessarily the same particular kind of music. I stress what is important is this. What are the words that you're listening to? What are the words that that music is reinforcing? Repetitio mater studiorum. Where's one of my Latins? There's a Latin student. over. What's that mean? There he is. He got it. And we're kicking up Latin when I come back again. Um, repetition is the mother of learning. So as that music reinforces the words to me, I don't know exactly what this sounded like. We saw many of them were stringed instruments, some with flutes and wind instruments. But all of this, as you listen to it over and over and over again, it reinforces upon our hearts, this great prayer. May God bless us, the people of God, so that the nations will see us and hear the message, and then it comes right back. May God bless us. So let's look at some of the individual pieces then of this psalm. The introduction is in verses 1 and 2. May God 
be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Again, the precedent for this, what this psalmist does, when we come to Psalm 110, the most uh, uh, quoted psalm in the New Testament, we're going to find how did, how did David construct that and why? He was reflecting back on Melchizedek and in Genesis. So the psalmist here is reflecting back on what he knew of God's word, God's revelation from heaven, and he takes two passages, Genesis 12 and Numbers chapter 6, and he puts them together. So we look at the first one, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now notice, Lord bless us begins this psalm. It ends with, Lord bless us. May the Lord bless us. Now, he was reflecting back, watch the word for bless, or the noun for blessing, occurs five times here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord, this is Yahweh, the covenantal God, said to Abram. He's not Abraham yet. Probably he had a lot of snickering when he heard his name. Avram, exalted father. And they're going, he doesn't have any children. What do you mean? And then his name is Abraham, changed. And he still doesn't have a son, exalted father of nations. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do, do you see why the psalmist here is picking up on that? I'll bless you so that you will be a blessing. What's the psalmist praying? May God bless us, the people of God, so that we will be a blessing. Now, if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ, you are a child of Abraham, Galatians, through faith. Not necessarily ethnicity, but everyone who is a person of faith in the true God of heaven revealed ultimately in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham. I'll bless you so that you will be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you shall all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the psalmist is reflecting back upon this passage. Hmm. God blesses Abraham, and God blesses all the descendants of Abraham so that they will be a blessing. Secondly, he goes to the famous passage that most of us know often you'll hear this sung at a graduation or um, this passage in Numbers 6, 24. This is where um, after two chapters of uh, law and then this is how the priest, the ironic priest, is to bless the people. And he's to say this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then the remarks, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. What does it mean to put God's name upon the people of Israel means his name, his character, his attributes, those that he wants us to express. So the blessing here is to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, a people of faith, just like Abraham, a people of faith that results in obedience. So let's go back to Psalm 67 and think about how the psalmist, reflecting upon Scripture and what God has revealed in His Word, 
takes those two passages and combines them together, that writes of prayer that is going to be sung individually among families. It's going to be sung when the nation of Israel gathers together in its worship, and he is teaching the people the priority of the necessity of God's blessing upon his people so that they can be a blessing. He takes three leading ideas there from that number six passage. May God, first of all, may he be gracious to us, may he bless us, and may he make his face to shine upon us. The first of those three requests, may God be gracious to us. Now, some of you may have the translation, may God be merciful. Grace and mercy are interrelated. We don't deserve either one. Mercy really stresses, um, we, we, when we were in Germany, and uh, I think it was Köln, and we were walking down the street, and here was a young man, and he had passed out uh, just lying on the street. I wasn't sure where he he was breathing, and Mana said, "What what do we need to do? Do we do we need to help him?" And uh, I, I looked down; he he was still breathing, and I said, "I I don't know. There was no policeman around. Where where are we going to take him? I, my German's not that good, and uh, he was either he didn't smell of alcohol, probably with with drug, but I I was just struck. That's compassion. That's compassion." He doesn't, he doesn't deserve the help. But when you look down upon somebody and God's mercy stresses, he is a compassionate God for sinners who are in great distress. Grace also stresses not the miserable state we're in, but that stresses undeserved nature. God doesn't look down and through the ages and say, you know what, I'm going to choose George Klein to be a preacher someday because he'll be such a good one. No, he looked down through and he saw me lost in my sin. He saw me rebellious. He saw me contrary to all that I ought to be experiencing the fall through Adam. And I don't know how many times I heard the gospel, and then one day I heard it differently. I heard it differently. It wasn't just facts. It wasn't just words. I got lost. And when you get lost and recognize you're headed to an eternity without Jesus Christ, at that time then you can get saved. And God turned on the light in my heart and in my life as he has many of you. That's grace. That's grace. And the first thing that the psalmist wants us to know how we ought to pray. Remember, this is instructive for the people of God. We pray on the basis of grace. Remember that passage in Luke? The Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember how the Pharisee prayed? Oh, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other people. I pray, I tithe, I do this. And there's the tax collector. Now, if you think the IRS is bad today, <laughs> try tax collectors in, in the ancient world, especially a Jewish tax collector that they would look at. He's a renegade collecting for Rome. And, they, and they'll, you say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Well, they sure tried. So they're, they're the de, considered the despicable people, the deplorables. That has a different ring today for some. And what did he do? Beat upon his chest, cried out to God. It's often translated, be merciful, but actually it's be propitious to me. He understood atonement. He understood the need for propitiation. He understood that he was under the wrath of God. And he cried out, oh God, be propitious to me. He's calling out to be saved. A sinner. 
And what's the comment that's, that uh, Dr. Luke makes on that passage? This man, the tax collector, he went home justified. And the Pharisee, the self-righteous, proud, who thought he was sufficient in himself, he did not. So we're reminded right here off the bat, how is God going to bless us? Well, if God's going to bless us, we have to recognize we're a people of grace. I don't come to him in my prayers and say, well, you know what, I'm, I was pretty good this week, so maybe you'll hear my prayers. Do you know God's love for you as a believer is unchanging? Here's the fault, default system we kind of fall into. Well, when I've been really good this week, God really loves me. But when I sin this week in my experience, God doesn't love me. Look, if you are his child, his love does not go up and down. He loves us completely, thoroughly, fully. Now, the way he manifests his love differs. If you're a parent and you're son or your daughter is disobedient, do you, do you put your arm around him and go, hey, I really liked your disobedience. So God disciplines us, not because he's a bad heavenly father, he disciplines us so that we'll be partakers of his holiness. So we approach right here at the beginning, this psalm teaches us on the basis of grace, and bless us. Now, what does it mean for God to bless us? Let me start with what's the difference between God's blessing us and we bless God? Well, I submit to you there's a world of difference between the two. Usually seminary students, when they're coming out of seminary, the first, the first, it, why, why you hear the book of Ephesians taught a lot by young seminary students, you know what? Because they just had to translate it and exegete it, and they got one ready to go. So if you've heard a lot of Ephesians, this always stuck with me from my seminary days. It's, it's uh, John Eady, one of the Greek scholars. He said, God blessed us, and we bless God. So what's the difference? His blessing of us is one of deed. Our blessing of him is only in word. He actually makes us blessed. We simply pronounce him blessed. He confers on us well-being. We ascribe to him well-being. Ours is, using the Latin, benedicere. We just say it. We, we agree and give to God and ascribe to him what he truly is in his character. But he, benefacere, he actually does something. He makes us blessed. Now, how does God make us blessed? Well, part of that is uh, physical, sometimes financial, prosperity. The Bible does use that of uh, the Lord's blessing upon his people. Remember Job? What an important lesson there is. Job was probably one of the wealthiest men in the ancient Near East. Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. First he lost his possessions and his family except for his wife, and then he lost his health. And each time... Job came back and said, The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we come down to the end of the book of Job, and we find out that God again blessed Job. And it's clear in that passage what the blessing is. It consisted of... Uh, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. Those are the blessing of God. If, you, if you're married, Psalm 128, and you have children, 
May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars. This is a blessing from God. The psalmist prays. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. I love praying with Jerry. He, he helps me come down to earth in his prayers. We're sitting there and I'm thinking of the way I've been blessed and Jerry starts in and he goes, thank you Lord for clean sheets. Thank you for food on the table. Thank you I was able to take a shower. Thank you I just able to get out of bed this morning and walk with, with, with my legs. All those things are blessings of God. But what has happened in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is the spiritual blessings have been put back on the shelf. And this is an absolute guarantee that God will do you, do this for you. No, the absolute guarantee is I have only the current breath that I'm taking. And these things are blessings, but the prosperity gospel that's being exported around the world is this. Trust this God and, and your sheep will always be fruitful. When you put plants in the ground, God will bless them. You give to this ministry and God will multiply it a hundred times. It's terrible. And you don't hear the gospel. You don't hear the gospel. It's called prosperity gospel. So when I look at this psalm, what is the psalmist praying? May God gracious to us, recognize we need grace, and may he bless us. I also submit to you that the word bless, more importantly, are spiritual blessings. Psalm 32. How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, whose sins are forgiven. This is a great blessing from God, and I submit to you to be the wealthiest man upon planet earth and to die apart from Jesus Christ is terrible. So when we pray as instructed here, God be gracious to us. We're crying out not on the basis of merit, our merit, but on the basis of God's kindness, his gracious intervention. And to bless us, this psalmist has in particular the blessing of God upon us spiritually to help me to hate sin, to love righteousness. You need that? I know I need it. What's Psalm 1 do? It goes right back to the gateway to the Psalter. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way, the lifestyle of sinners, and he doesn't get comfortable and sit back there with the mockers. But his delight, what he finds joy and pleasure in, is meditating upon Scripture. So when we're praying here, this prayer, and a prayer for the blessing of God, it's God, work in my heart, make me more like Jesus Christ. Help me to understand the importance of spiritual realities. Help me to worship you as, a, as I ought to worship you, and as I do that, then God is going to work in our heart and give us a compassion for people that don't know God and work out of that. And then the third request there is the beginning is make his face to shine upon us. Now this is an anthropomorphism. It's an it's a, a expression that we understand. I got one of my sons here this morning, so I don't want to embarrass him too badly. Just maybe a little bit. When I would look at my son like that, often maybe I'm responding in a sinful way, I'm just annoyed, but he would know daddy's not too happy with this particular son. 
to have his face shine upon us, God's face to shine upon us, means God is delighted in the way that we are responding to him. A radiant face, a joyful face. He may not remember this, but he called me up. He was at University of North Texas, and uh, um, I, I was talking to him. I said, uh, Matthew, I got a letter from the dean. And he goes, Dad, I passed those courses. I did. I really did. I'm telling you, I don't know what kind of letter you got. I said, son, you didn't let me finish. You actually made the dean's list. He goes, oh, okay. And I'm sitting on this end on the phone, smiling, glad, thankful. So to have God's face shine upon us is that he is looking down from heaven upon his children, and he is pleased with the way that we are responding to him. So, Lord, make your face shine upon us means that we need to be obedient. Would you work in my heart, Lord? Help me to hate sin, to love righteousness, to have God hide his face is terrible. It's the opposite of blessing of God. So here we are. I prolonged a little bit on the introduction in Psalm 1 and 2 because this is where it starts and this is where it ends in this psalm. It is a prayer for God to bless his people, that we be a people of grace, a people who trust him, and a people who are prospering spiritually. And it starts with family. I'm not going to go, we've done that before, Genesis chapter 18. We're just about to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do since I have chosen him? What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to command his children. He's supposed to teach them the word of God. So I, I did. I actually set him up here. I didn't have these when I was teaching my son. Sometime it was overkill, and they're looking at me, and I'm treating a, a six-year-old as a seminary student. I'm boring them out of their mind. Um, or I'm um, inconsistent. Um, uh, Tyler alerted me to these, to these books. I think we still have some over on the book table. It's called Truth and Grace. Now, if you're from a Catholic background, the word catechism probably jars you. But catechism, catecheo, is a word that is in the New Testament, and it means to instruct, and it's question and answer. So it's these memory books that will give you some structure in trying to train your children and something regular to work through. And so you start out in book one, and it tells you what ages to use with them. And it, you, you don't have to do it long. It just take a short time period and do a little bit every day. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things for his own glory? And then you step up to level two, and it puts a little more pack to it and impact, and then you step up to level three, and it's for older kids. Look, these are to be helps, parents. It starts with families. Families have to be worshiping. This is the basic structure that God has called. And then... Um, we just got another one in. Um, did we put some? We did. We put, we put some over there on the book table. We have a lot more. Again, this is a grace ministry. Just just take one. The only thing we ask is that you use it. It's called Bible Stories Every Child Should Know. Now, there's a danger there because some teach Bible stories, you know, like um, they're fiction. No. This teaches Bible stories, but it starts with Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and it sequentially follows through the storyline of the Bible, and it runs down all the way to the end in Revelation. So if you've got young children, maybe they can read. Have them, have them spend five minutes. Just sit down with them. Take one of these and work through it. These are tools. Most important is this book right here. It's the Word of God, but these are going to be tools to help you. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Then we got to be a people of the book. We got to people be a people of prayer, people who are training another generation. 
so that through that will influence the nations for Christ. He said, you said this was going to be short, Psalm 67. You only got eight minutes left. Let me jump down to uh, the centerpiece, the purpose then, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power. Actually, it's the word, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, why doesn't it say let all the people repent and turn from their sin and know that they're lost? Well, that's, that's involved in that. How are you going to praise the true God of heaven above if you're like the Pharisee? You have to be like the tax collector. You have to recognize you're sinful. And then when you're praising God, you're praising God for who he is. He's a saving God. That's the statement. That your salvation among all the peoples. Let the peoples praise you. It was a striking illustration in uh, Let the Nations Be Glad and the supremacy of, of God in, in worship. Um, our, our worship, it, there is a sense of duty. We have a responsibility before God. Um, Jerry and Linda were, were quarantined with uh, COVID and uh, I knew um, that Pete was very close to going home to heaven. So Mon and I went to, to visit them. Suzanne met us, and I said, uh, Pete was unresponsive at that time. I, d I don't act as if he's unresponsive. I just put my hand. Pete's a dear friend. If you know Pete and how God has so transformed that man and his passion for prison ministry, and we'd go over there in prison ministry, and, and Pete would say, my eyes are sweating because full of tears and compassion. And those prisoners would pay close attention to what, what Pete had uh, to say. So Suzanne's there, I said, hey, um, I don't know when Pete's gonna go home to be with the Lord. Here's what uh, um, hospice has said, but I want you to call me. I want you to call me 24 seven. I, I want to be here with you when that happens. I want to be here to pray with you, to encourage you. And so I got a call about 4 o'clock Saturday morning. Now imagine I go over there and I say to Suzanne, she says, thank you for being here. And I go, oh, it's just my duty. It's just my duty. I'm, I'm just here because I get paid a salary. Do you see the difference? I didn't do that. I'd be a terrible shepherd. I went over and put my arm around her. We weep with those who weep. And as they haul off Pete's body, we're praying and thanking God that we don't sorrow as others. And it was a delight for me to be there. Not that Pete had passed away, but a delight in being able to minister, to serve, and to worship the true God. That's what we want the nations to do. We want them to experience that same love of God poured out in their heart so they're not saying, oh boy, I repent of my sin. It's so terrible. And then no change. No. Praise and worship flows out. Verse 6 then, the earth has yielded its increase. He's talking about the harvest. And he says at this time, He's reminding the people of the physical blessings of the harvest, but he goes beyond that. This is what our Lord said. Remember the Samaritans were coming up, and what did Jesus say to his disciples? Look out, the fields are white unto harvest. So he's taking his eyes beyond simply a physical blessing of harvest, and he says, God, our God, blesses us, and he comes right back to where he begins. May God bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. He's crying out for the physical blessings upon the people of God so that we will not simply say things about the gospel, but we will live by the gospel and manifest that way in worship of God and holy living 
and a zeal to have God's name honored, not simply among ourselves, but among all the peoples of the world. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So I ask you this morning, do you worship God? Do you worship God? Do you know him in Jesus Christ? Have you said... I'm a guilty sinner, and like the tax collector, fled to Christ to forgive your sin. Jesus said it this way, all who comes to me, all who comes to me, I will by no means cast out if you're heavy and laden with your sin. Pray in humility based on grace and mercy. Pray for the reality of God's spiritual blessing on us, his people, and pray with the desire for God to be worshipped among all peoples before Paul comes and leads us in our final hymn repetition is the mother of learning go over this psalm one more time with me ready may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth your salvation among all nations let the peoples praise you O God let all the peoples praise you let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. <laughs>